Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 25-year breast cancer survivor, certified life coach, and the author of Thriving Beyond Cancer. And my name is Becky Olson. I am a five-time, 23-year survivor of advanced-stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker and the author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Sharon and I are also the co-founders of Breast Friends, and can you believe we are in our 19th year? Woo-hoo! I know, right? <laughs> Crazy. So before we introduce our guest today, I wanted to share a little um, story that kind of will give you how this came about for our guest today. But last October, I had the opportunity to be the opening keynote speaker at the 2018 ASRT conference in San Antonio, and that's for radiation therapists. The sponsor was Electa, Inc., and they are one of the leading companies in radiation therapy equipment. After the conference was over, it was just a a short time later, I got a call from the sponsor, Aaron Oaks, who was there and heard my presentation. And he shared something pretty phenomenal with me. Um, He wanted to understand more about the patient's experience. You know, when he heard me talk, I guess it just kind of presented some things he hadn't really considered. And this man um, did something pretty, pretty amazing. He went, when he got back to his office in Atlanta, he went to the room where they store the radiation equipment and he actually got on one of the machines and looked at it, laid there on the table and looked at the dials and the and all the screens and everything just to try to picture what it would feel like to be on that screen from a patient's perspective. And when he told me he had done that, he said it really kind of opened his eyes as to why this can be a very scary experience. And we both agreed at that point that patients need a better understanding of what radiation is, how it works, and let go of some of the myths And I I want to share a little myth that I had when I first got on the radiation table the first time. You know, I'm from that generation where uh, back in the 50s and early 60s, we were all talking about the atomic bomb. And and the the rule was we'd all, if the bomb goes off, we'd all just crawl under our desks like that's going to save us somehow. (laughs) Yeah. And and if we were lucky enough to have a bomb shelter in our, you know, basements, we'd go down there and kind of survive the blast. But we had to stay down there a long time because if we came up, radiation would kill us. And so here's this this image of all you know of all of us young kids under the tables scared to death of this idea of radiation and now you are going to put me on a table and deliberately bombard me with it. And it just you know I know intellectually that that makes no sense to be worried about it because it's got to be different than that, but it's still it was still a very real concept going through my head and I felt like a a, a child, you know. But I I have to say that since then I've become a firm believer in radiation. Now, I'm not here, and none of us, Sharon and I, are not here today to tell you that you have to have radiation to survive cancer. But I do want to say that I had radiation my first battle, my third battle, and my fourth battle. And I believe with my whole heart that if I'd had it the second time, that there would have been no third, fourth, or fifth time that I'm facing now. And I didn't have radiation the second time because I had a double mastectomy, and was told they don't usually do radiation with a mastectomy. 
I had the option to do it, but I thought, you know what, why put myself through something I don't have to? And so I didn't. And that was the side that continued to recur. And then at that point, the only treatment I could do really was radiation. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in it as a very solid treatment for not only breast cancer, but other kinds of cancers. And, um, but we're not here to tell you that's between you and your doctor. But we have a phenomenal guest here today who's going to provide us with all the opportunity to learn more about this treatment method, method and how it works in curing cancer. So with that... I have the distinct pleasure of introducing our guest today. Dr. John Christodoulias is Vice President of Medical Affairs and Clinical Research for Electa Inc. He's also an adjunct professor at University of Pennsylvania. He has written extensively about ways to optimize cancer control and quality of life for patients with cancer. He has published research, reviews, and editorials in a variety of journals, including the New England Journal of Medicine that we've all heard about and much more than that. Um, I also found out he's a practicing clinician as well. So today we're going to talk about the role of radiation in cancer treatment, how it works, hopefully debunk some of the myths that we all have heard about it. And with that, please welcome Dr. John Christodoulias, who has kindly said we can refer to him as Dr. John going forward. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) And, And before we get into all the medical stuff, let's just take a couple of minutes and tell me a bit about yourself, your family, your hobbies, maybe why you even got into this kind of business. Sure. So um, I'm going to go ahead and say my name again. Um, uh, Becky, you did a fabulous job actually saying a very difficult last name. Uh, it's John <laughs> Christopoulos. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so say it and, one more time. I talked over you, Dr. Oh, John. Yep. My name is John Christodoulias and okay. I'm, you know, my patients have very, uh, happily refer to me as John or Dr. John. That's totally fine as well. For those who can't swing the Christodoulias part. <laughs> um, but as you can guess, um, Greek American, a very proud Greek American. Um, and um, uh, so I, you, you asked about my family, uh, sort of the pride and joy. Uh, so I have uh, a lovely wife and three kids and, and I'm surrounded by a very um, extensive <coughs> Greek and, uh, and actually a Taiwanese uh, family uh, really? around me. And so we're very blessed um, and to live in a uh, community with lots of family around us. Nice. Um, and I have uh, three young kids, nine, seven, and four, um, who occupy, uh, who pretty much represent, I don't know if I'd call them my hobbies. That feels like <laughs> uh, disparaging, but, um, oh, no. they, but they, they take your they, time for they sure. They pretty much are, you know, what, what, uh, what I, you know, you know what I do when I'm when I'm not uh, working on uh, oncology problems, uh, whether it be in the clinic or or for sort of research purposes. Yeah, so I guess that's a a brief summary of who I am and what I do. Great, and and you're a researcher, is that what I understand at Electa? Yeah, so um, I actually am one of the luckiest people actually in in the radiation oncology. I have an unusual position in that I um, I see patients at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm an attending radiation oncologist where I um, focus on what's called genitourinary malignancies. So my, my specialty is in the care of prostate, bladder, and testicular cancer. Okay. So those are the diseases that I treat and been doing that 
been at the University of Pennsylvania sort of on, focusing on those diseases for about 10 years. And, um, but, you know, we're at the University of Pennsylvania, it's an academic institution, so lots of the faculty members have um, academic interests as well. And um, my academic interests have dovetail very closely with the interests of Electa, which is a medical device and software company. And so I spend um, about half my time working on um, clinical research projects for a software and medical devices company. And the gentleman that you met at the ASRT meeting, Aaron Oaks, is mm-hmm. also, he works at Electa, and that's how I know Aaron, and, and he connected us mm-hmm. uh, for this interview. Um, so uh, clinical research, there's clinical research and technical research. As a, as a physician, my uh, area of expertise would be on the clinical research side, and that means research that is on um, patient outcomes, sort of Mm -hmm. side effects of treatment, cancer control, cure rates, local control versus distant control, those kinds of things. So those are the, that's the area of, of, of of research that I focus on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And (laughs) then what is the role of radiation therapy in the treatment of cancer? I know that's a big question, but (laughs) in general, general, yeah. Well, you know, um, so, you know, just to start out, radiation is one of three major modalities that we use, and it's very well established. We've been using it for um, for you know seventy years um, uh, as part of the uh, of cancer treatment quite extensively. And also, I'll just describe describe their major modalities and how I think about them and where radiation fits in. You know. Surgery is, everyone is sort of familiar that surgery is a big part of, of cancer care. And everything really depends on this, the particular indication. But in general, surgery has a, a major role to play in oncology. And I think of surgery as kind of the most potent weapon against cancer. You, you know, it's, you can't get much better than than cutting out, right? It's, it's right. a very potent tool, but it's so potent that you, you can't do surgeries to larger areas, right? It's just, it's not, um, the, the side effects, the complications of doing, um, uh, big surgeries are often not safe or, or they have the, the, the long-term impacts are too great. Okay. So, so, uh, modality number one, the oldest modality, as it were, is surgery. Very potent. The second most potent modality is radiation therapy. It is, um, uh, 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 I can describe sort of how it works generally here in a second, but if you just say, think of it as like, um, almost like spraying an area to disinfect it. It's actually really, really good at cleaning up, not just a local area, but a regional area. We can cover volumes of the body that you can't safely cut out, as it were, surgically. Right. 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 That makes sense. So, um, so it covers a broader sort of volume of tissue uh, than what you could do with surgery. And then the third modality are medicines. And there's a whole variety of medicines from chemotherapy to targeted biologic agents to now immunotherapies, etc. Mm-hmm. Medicines 
in general, have the advantage of being able to go everywhere in the body, mm-hmm. but also in general, and I'm speaking very broadly, it's not as potent. And so, um, you can you can cover large the largest amount of area of the body with medicines, in general, uh, the second largest with radiation, and then the most localized areas with surgery. Now, those are gross generalizations, but I think it's a a useful way of thinking about how radiation fits in. It's kind of a regional, it's a tool that that can cover regional areas in a way that surgery can't, but but is more potent than medicines in general. Makes sense. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And there's uh, lots of lots of myths around, uh, <laughs> as Becky in her introduction was yeah. talking about, lots of myths. Yeah, and you know, when we talk with patients, our focus, of course, is breast and ovarian cancer and that sort of thing, and, and radiation is frequently used in the treatment of those things, so, yes, but absolutely. without talking about, you know, specifically that, um, one of the things that we hear and why people are so afraid of it is they, they hear that radiation causes cancer, and so why would I want to do something to my body that could make this whole thing worse, you know, that it's worse than the disease? Mm. What, what can you share with, with us about that? Well, I would say that radiation um, can cause cancer. That is true. Um, but it is extremely rare. So anytime you do any intervention, there are risks. So when we talk about this with surgery, if you, if you do a surgery, you have to accept the risks that you will have a life-threatening you know, allergic reaction to the anesthesia that you get at the time of surgery, or that there will be an error. And a blood vessel, an important blood vessel, may be damaged inadvertently. So True. It, just like that, in radiation, we have a risk of what we call a secondary malignancy or um, a, a tumor that is caused by the radiation um, that was used. Now, um, what we know from uh, our research, our clinical research, is that that risk in general is low, given the common uh, way that we use radiation. Mm-hmm. takes typically decades to manifest, maybe a minimum of seven years, but typically much longer than that. Okay. Like 20, 30, 40 years later, the risks start to become measurable much more okay. easily measurable, um, and uh, that it is very dependent on the volume of tissue that's treated, that's exposed okay. to the radiation, mm-hmm. um, and the age of the patient, or, or the, basically the life expectancy of the patient. So, you know, as a clinician, um, you know, I treat prostate cancer patients, and um you know, they have very long life expectancies. Prostate cancer uh, has a wide variety of types, but it's very curable uh, for many men. I would say most men. And so we really have to think about the, the very long-term impacts. Okay. And I advise, in general, that 1% of men who are 65-year-old will end up getting a secondary malignancy as a result of radiation exposure. So... Um, it can happen. If it does happen, we're talking about the risk over a 25, 30-year life expectancy. Okay. So it's real. 
we uh, absolutely have to account for and and, and respect it, mm-hmm. and and use it use our tool judiciously and on the right patience mm-hmm. and in the right way, just so we are re- very respectful of that. But when um, when I hear things like the the you know the treatment's worse than the disease, mm-hmm. I think it, uh, that's probably um, misinterpreting the risks. Okay, that's yeah. good to know. Yeah. yeah. I so, would agree with that. Yeah, these right. are just things that we hear. And so, and I know if we hear them, other people hear them, and that might be, you know, part of their decision. Let me go back to the question on volume again, because uh-huh. you said it, the risk, you know, uh, depends on the volume and the age of the patient. Uh-huh. Um, so, on the volume, there's, you know, like for example, when I had my radiation on my, I guess my third battle, they, um, fourth battle, fourth battle, <laughs> he wanted, it was either go, three weeks with very intense radiation or spread it out over five weeks with a lower dose. Does that have a part in, in the potential for it causing cancer down the road? Yeah. So that is a great question. Um, and, and I will tell you that the, um, the answer is we do not know. So what you were referring to is uh, just from a technical point of view, we refer mm-hmm. to that as, hypofractionation or mild hypofractionation where you increase the daily dose to try to get through um, the treatment as quickly as possible. Right. And that has been, you know, in breast cancer in particular, has been studied very extensively. Um, multiple big national trials looking at these studies. And the data goes out, you know, uh, quite long as these things go, 10 years and more. Um, And as far as we know, there doesn't appear to be any difference with respect to the rate of secondary malignancies. But that that first clause where we say, as far as we know, is important because (laughs) secondary malignancies almost never happen within 10 years. I mean, it's extremely rare. Okay. And so you wouldn't even expect to find it. The studies that have shown that radiation can cause a secondary cancer are ones that follow patients out like 30 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the kinds of, you know, uh, the kinds of radiation that we did 30 and 40 years ago, the kinds of patients that were studied were so different. It's really hard to extrapolate. No, that yeah. makes sense because radiation, yeah. sense. my uh-huh. first time it was different than my last time because they're, they're more targeted now, it seems like. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, the, the technology yeah. is just mind-blowing how, it, how it's advancing. Yeah. Yeah. So that number may just continue to decrease and the longevity Absolutely. may continue to increase. Well, on that, we're going to go out to break and we'll pick up the rest of these questions on the other side. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. 
From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Dr. John about the role of radiation on cancer. And before we leave the the myths, I really want to talk about like permanent scarring and tissue damage. And um, I know... um, like in Becky's case, for instance, I remember you going into those appointments and being concerned about your heart or your lungs being affected by the radiation. And with Dr. John, of course, he's dealing with um, prostate cancer. And I'm sure for the men in our audience or the women who have men in their, their lives, that's certainly a concern of theirs. So I'd love to have a conversation around that. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, uh, so I could, I guess, I could comment on the, um, you know, the the first bit. You know, does it cause permanent damage? And and I think that that speaks a little bit to the, you know, the trick of radiation, uh, why radiation um, works, and why it's sort of been utilized successfully in oncology for for so so many decades. And and that is is that radiation takes advantage of a of an error that cancer cells almost uniformly have when a cancer cell becomes cancer so one of the things that goes wrong is that that it can't repair its own DNA damage and that's sort of why it's become a cancer right mutations occurred and right. and those mutations weren't repaired and it, and mutations collect 
and then it collects a bunch of, uh, of mutations. And once it has a certain minimum number, then it becomes like an immortal cell. It becomes a cancer cell. So uh, an inability to repair DA, DNA damage is, is kind of a hallmark of cancer, right? And radiation, mm-hmm. what it does is it causes DNA damage, right? Okay. It causes um, basically a little rusting in the cell. And normal cells can, not with perfect fidelity, but for the most part, repair that DNA damage, right? They, they have these mechanisms that, that uh, are activated very, very quickly within the cell. And those mechanisms will fix the, the, the DNA um, damage that, that occurred as a result of that rust. That Effectively, that rust will be removed and the DNA will be repaired, Tumor cells, on the other hand, can't do that as well. And so um, some of those tumor cells will die as a result of that damage. Now, that also speaks to the fact that radiation is so-called fractionated. We give, in general, or have historically given little doses every day over an extended period of time. You mentioned, you know, three Mm -hmm. to six weeks. Right. We give little doses every day because we want to give a dose that we know that normal cells can recover from. Okay. Right? okay. So we give that little dose. We let the, bio, the biologic magic happen over four to six hours after the treatment. And we come back the next day and we repeat it. And every, little, every day that we treat, the population of cancer cells that um, is present that doesn't harbor um, a lethal DNA mutation is just a little bit lower, and we try to repeat that over and over again until every cancer cell in that area has a lethal DNA mutation, and that you know is is basically destined to die once yeah. it tries to replicate. Mm. Um, Very now, interesting. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's the trick. It's in, it's you take advantage of 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 the the way that a cancer cell is unhealthy. And that in kind fact, of explains the fatigue that we that we often face after you know the first week or so. You, you, there is a, a fatigue factor, and it's probably from all this, you know, breaking things down, and then your body's repairing it. And it's breaking it down again the next day, and your body's repairing it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's constant. you know, because mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, the treatment itself is over so short; it takes longer to park your car. But absolutely, <laughs> yes, exactly. So why does it make you so tired? But I would imagine that that would be the reason. Yeah, absolutely. There, it's part of part of the the uh, sort of the inflammatory process that's generated by the by the cells that um, you know the bad cells that are injured. Um, and and I should say that I should just note that um, normal cells have intact DNA repair machines in the, in them, right? And so they can repair these damage, but they don't always repair them with perfect fidelity. It's like um, anytime a cell replicates or whenever you repair uh, the DNA damage, it's like getting a photocopy of, a, of, you know, of something that you've printed out. That photocopy is, can be very, very good, but it's not always it's not as good as the original. There are going to be some right. minor differences. Okay. And, and so those things can creep in, and that's why you get you know, over many, many, it's if you get lots and lots of photocopies of the same original, 30 years later, one of those originals is going to be bad. And that's why, uh, okay. that's why a, a secondary malignancy could occur. Okay. Um, and that's why, but also side effects occur. 
um, as well. And, and you can have normal tissue injury because it's not, a, those mechanisms aren't perfect. Yeah. So for sure, it's important to emphasize that, you know, while radiation is an absolutely fundamental, extremely powerful tool, it's not without its, without its downsides. And that's why, you know, you have people like me who spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to um, um, judiciously apply it and, and make our treatments better with, with research. Well, and we're thankful for people like you. So really, really, really appreciate you. You know, I I wanted to bring up just because another question that comes up, and I know this isn't your area of expertise, so I'll ask, I'll sort of state the question and then I'll say what I know about it. But um, about reconstruction, you know, for women with breast cancer, that they don't want to have radiation because reconstruction is harder or some people believe it's impossible. Well, I've had radiation like I said, three on three different occasions, and um, I have had reconstruction. It's there's certain things that they can do, so it's definitely worth a conversation with your doctor. I don't want to have anybody listen to this and think, "Well, I'm not doing it because you can't have reconstruction." You can. There are just different procedures. Talk to a plastic surgeon. Find out what's doable um, because it it does change the way your breasts respond and. You know, implants may be more difficult, but a deep flap might be might be the solution. So there's there's just different different reasons or different ways you can solve that problem. So You're just right. wanted to bring that up for our listeners, just in case and, that was question was in there and we hadn't mm-hmm. covered it yet. So and well, Becky, and, you and, said some. Oh, sorry, was that was that Sharon? No, go Becky? ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to mention you said something important. It's worth a conversation with your doctor. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, these are um, all of these areas are, you know, depending on what what you're struggling with, they're, they're quite complex. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, it never hurts to under try to understand what the role of these various options are, whether it be medicines or radiation, etc. And um, you can be referred to the specialist if you want to hear more. Right, um, exactly. And understand more. I mean, it's it's really complicated and there's there's very little harm in 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 learning. And Absolutely. learning more, even if it's not appropriate, even if you meet with with someone who says, you know, it's not the best choice for you. Well, well, you've you've educated yourself and, mm-hmm. and reassured yourself that you're on a, a path that makes sense for you. So. Yeah. And that's important because you have to I think part of our success in healing is to believe that we are on the best you know, path of best path. That's a hard, hard thing to say. Best path of success for us. <laughs> and if you believe in what you're doing, I think that you'll have a stronger and better outcome. I just, that's the, that's the spiritual side of, of all of this. And oh, yeah. I do really believe that. So, so let's, let's get on to the next part of this. Cause I know we, we talked now about how cancer impacts the damaged cells. Um, what I think Sharon, you had a couple questions about cancer types and what kind of cancer is it used in? Yeah, well, it sounds like, um, you know, if you're looking for a regional type of cancer uh, treatment, that radiation might be considered. But would you talk a little bit more about that, doctor? Well, radiation is is used at at one point or another in about half of all patients who have cancer. Oh, wow. It's extremely common. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's such a versatile tool and so effective in some, in such a wide variety of diseases that literally it's, 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 if I if you think of it as a drug, it is a drug we use in about half of all cancer patients. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and just to sort of, uh, get on my, uh, somewhat 
political soapbox. One, one thing that in in radiation oncology we we lament a little bit is that um, our healthcare system and and frankly almost all of the healthcare systems around the world devote so many more resources towards the pharmaceutical agents that are used in cancer mm-hmm. rather than this one pharmaceutical agent <laughs> that has been so good for so long mm-hmm. and has still has so much potential. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we try to do as a field is really advocate to say, hey, like try to rationalize the way that you allocate resources. And, and, and I'm just not just talking about the United States, but internationally, we feel uh, in general that ministries of health, et cetera, don't appreciate the power of this tool and the sort of the impact that it can have on people's lives with a wide variety of cancers and, and don't make the um, sort of the proper investment in training and education of staff. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to do, to set up a, a, a radiation oncology clinic because you, re- you require s- specialized training, et cetera. But those are resources that pay massive returns on, on those kinds of investments. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the time we are out there trying to advocate for for this um, for this tool. Okay, well that's good to know. I mean I know with um, uh, with the surgical um, statistics for breast cancer at least um, if you have a small tumor, sometimes out of fear, we opt to do a, a complete mastectomy or maybe even a double mastectomy for, you know, uh, ensuring uh, less recurrence opportunities. Mm-hmm. And and yet a um, uh, lumpectomy and radiation, for instance, shows the same kind of um, uh, mortality statistics. If I'm stating yes. that correct. And, yes, you and, are. Yeah. yeah. And so it is an interesting um, kind of a dichotomy because, again, I think from a fear perspective, whether it's fear of the cancer coming back and they use a more radical, you know, cut it out approach rather than the more simple lumpectomy and radiation approach. So I just, I think it is an interesting um, perspective, certainly for, for our guests and for us even, um, yeah. uh, working with a lot of patients. So I know, Becky, you had some uh, questions about like, like logistics and yeah. things like that. And the reason I wanted to ask these questions is because the first time I went in for radiation, I had no idea what to expect. You know, I, I had the tattoos. I had the, you know, they fitted me for the little form thing that keeps me in place. But when I was laying on the table, I was I was waiting for like beams to come down, like you know, beam me up spotty. <laughs> you know? And I, I had no idea what to expect. And I actually laid there wondering, is anything even happening? Because, you know, a few, a few minutes later, you're done and there's no sign of damage, no discoloration, no nut. So I really didn't know what to expect and and they're you know and all of the the therapists are so busy getting one patient in and then the next one in the next one and I know they're just swamped they're back to back and um so they I, I'm sure that it's hard for them to find the time to just kind of explain everything so we have a few more minutes until this next break could you explain to our listeners what they can expect to happen when they go in the first time for radiation whether it's sure. prostate or breast cancer, it's yeah. probably some similarities, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, 
you know, the, one of the first things that happens once a decision to use radiation has been made, the first one of the first things that's happened is what we refer to as a, a simulation or a planning scan. And all that is is basically imaging of the patient's body in the treatment position so that we can get that a model, a software, create a software model of that patient to generate a personalized radiation plan. So we take pictures of the body, upload those pictures into a very complicated treatment, radiation treatment planning software, and then we figure out where should the radiation go, what, what's the angle, what's the intensity of the radiation, how do we make it go to where we want it to go, and avoid the tissues that we don't want to expose. Right? That's the first step in the radiation process. And you okay. probably remember that. I do. Uh, <laughs> Very yeah, well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so that's the first step. That's the simulation scan. We simulate the treatment. We simulate your positioning. And then we do this modeling computer software exercise where you're literally creating a computer program that's specific to, to um, every patient's individual anatomy. And That's then very comes, reassuring, actually, because when you think yeah. about a, you know people pilots who learn to fly, they start with flight simulators. I'm pretty sure. Exactly. So, That's the it's the love it's it's the nice thing about my field is everything I do. It's like a, a, unlike a surgeon who sort of goes in there and does it on you for the first time, you know, and you hopefully get it right. I can mess up. I can mess up seventy times and do something I don't like and say, you know what? If I go in this way, it's better, mm-hmm. right? So I can sort of very slowly and use really complex software that allows me to optimize the approach. Mm-hmm. I think that's so, great. Okay. Yep. And so we, once we do it virtually, we'll often do like a practice run, even while the patient's on the table, make sure that all the, the computer simulations um, are, are uh, work well when the actual you know, human being is on the table. We'll do a, a sham procedure as it were, as a final test. Make sure that the you know when the machine goes around the table, uh, there isn't anything surprising that ha- that happens. And so once that practice test is verified, then the first treatment is delivered. And with with modern radiation therapy equipment, those treatments actually happen quite quickly on the order. They of do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So all of the all of the work is really around um, the radiation delivery, making sure that. We can deliver um, treatment with as uh, you know millimeters of accuracy, and sometimes yeah. submillimeters of accuracy. Uh, yeah, depending I, you on know, the, one the of the approach. things I <clears throat> noticed last time when I went in and I had that five-week procedure, um, he was able, and I guess this is kind of new or newish since I first time I did it. He was able to even dictate the the depth of the radiation. So he had to get it just through my bone because my node was just on the other side, of, just under my, my breastbone, basically. Yep, and exactly. so he, he was able to control it. So it just went through the bone and no deeper just to make sure he got that one spot. Yep. And I think that's pretty phenomenal that you're able to do that. So when you're oh, lying it's... on the table, there's no light. I mean, you're not going to see a bunch of lights and things, ray beams zapping at you. <laughs> none, yeah. none of that is going to happen. Yeah, you won't see anything. You won't feel anything. It's like getting a picture taken. Um, you don't appreciate that it's happening. Um, but there are, you know, to, so that, you know, your, your listeners are assured, there's a lot of quality assurance testing that is done at the same time to verify that exactly what we intended to happen happened. 
know, and okay. there are logs of these treatments. So we know ex- we know exactly what's going on and we control it. And there are very uh, well-trained therapists who are monitoring the treatments all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's become over the years um, an extraordinarily well-controlled process that it's it's kind of the the paragon of safety. You know, we think of, um, uh, you know, uh, these industries like the airline industry. I think mm-hmm. last year had no fatalities in commercial aircraft. It's just an extraordinary accomplishment. Well, we... We are we are like that. We have developed these processes where, you know, uh, uh, mistakes can happen, but they are so um, rare and controlled that I, it's a really testament to the the efforts that um, a lot of tremendous um, uh, physicists, in particular, um, uh, have put in place. They, they've put in place these procedures that allow us to to be extremely safe. It's you just know what you're getting every day. You know, this uh, last time, I I keep comparing last time to my first time because it was so different because of, you know, the new technology. But the Mm -hmm. last time my doctor, my my radiologist was able to show me on a screen the area that they were hitting with this and really walked me through every detail of it. So I knew exactly where they were targeting and and why he was going this far and this deep. And and he could show it to me on a a computer screen. It was pretty cool. So yeah. With the that, we're going to. Oh, sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you close. We're going to go out to break because we're we're over time right now. Um, so we will go out when we come back. Though, let's talk a little bit about the side effects and what we can do to counter some of those things. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Dr. John about the role of radiation in cancer. And I really do want to make sure if a, if a patient is looking forward to radiation, or maybe that's one of the options their doctors have, have um, posed for them, what are one or two items that you feel that patients really need to know up front, John? And can you include common side effects in that conversation? Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Well, I guess what I would say is that um, uh, a couple things. Um, one is uh, be reassured that you are not the first person undergoing this therapy, that you are not alone, that um, literally millions of patients have been treated um, with radiotherapy, and a lot is known. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've come... We, We've just we've made such incredible strides, and we continue to make con- uh, incredible strides. And in that um, uh, you know you, you are you are getting a very well established therapy. So it's not something esoteric or barbaric because I know people think radiation, like you you said in your opening <laughs> se- segment. So so that's one thing. This this is bread and butter cancer therapy mm-hmm. now, um, and very well understood. Uh, the second thing that I would say, and it relates to the side effect conversation, is that everybody's radiation plan is personalized. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, right, we make this personal plan, but even within, you know, even if you say, um, you know, you've, you meet, you have two women who say they have had post-mastectomy radiation, that they, that can be very different between the two, the two women, and the experience can be very different. And it, and it has to do with that, with that issue. You know, the side effects are depend on a lot of factors, and particularly the volume. That's the amount of tissue that's treated, the total dose that that's treated mm-hmm. um, to each of those um, areas of the body, etc. So, it's it's hard to generalize about what the side effects are. Uh, you know, so for and, and this comes up in in my own clinic when I treat a lot of patients who have pelvic cancers, prostate, bladder uh, cancer in particular, and they'll often have a friend who had, say, breast cancer radiotherapy or, or lung cancer, and they will, they will think, oh, my experience is going to be similar to theirs, but it, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, in breast mm-hmm. cancer radiotherapy, often the skin is the target, right? right? And so the skin mm-hmm. can be very irritated, and that's intentional um, in breast cancer radiotherapy, but in, um, in in prostate cancer, well, the skin is not the target, so there will be effectively no skin irritation, or no meaningful skin ir- irritation. I've, I've basically have almost never seen um, severe uh, skin irritation in prostate radiotherapy, for example. Mm. Well, um, that that's interesting because that goes along with my last experience because my, they were targeting the the one spot that I had behind my breastbone, and that was the least burning that I'd had on any of my treatments, skin burning, yeah. because it was under the breastbone, and that's where he was shooting for, just one targeted area, and it was pretty minimal. I mean, it had yeah, a little square, wasn't, little pink. Yeah, the, but, yeah exactly. And Not the skin bad. wasn't the target. The right. skin wasn't okay. the target in that case. 
Um, sometimes it is the target, and so they'll they do want to see it get pink and red. Yeah. And that okay. They, they want that to happen. Okay. As it were, but everybody's treatment is different. And so be careful about, I asked my neighbor so-and-so, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I don't want to do that because yeah. your neighbor so-and-so, even if it sounds like they even have the, you know, very similar thing, your treatment is going to have, you know, a, yeah. a, a program that has your name on it and no one else's and it will that's fit your really, anatomy. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. And we also tell people to stay off the internet and try, stop trying to self-diagnose what's going to happen because... <laughs> You're going to read the worst horrible things because more people post bad stuff than good and get caught up in some rabbit hole and go down it quickly. And, you know, so talk to your doctor. And we just can't stress that enough. Talk to your doctor. What what might I experience as my side effects from this? And then how do I how do I counter those? What can I do? There's ointments and things for burns. There's there's all kinds of stuff. Just make sure you have the question. Is that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Exactly. Make sure you have the you have that conversation with your doctor. So, mm-hmm. so that's cool. Well, you know, I don't want to run out of time before we have time to talk about some really exciting things. So, um, you are a researcher, and we know things have changed a lot. As I mentioned, you know, my first radiation was 23 years ago almost, and now here it is, and I've had it, you know, again even last year. So a lot has changed, but I'm sure there's more coming. So why don't you talk a little bit about some of the exciting areas of ongoing clinical research in yeah. this field. Well, yeah, there there are a, a bunch of exciting things happening. It's just, uh, you know, I, I pinch myself every day at how lucky <laughs> I am to work on such an exciting area. But I thought, um, you know, given the, the audience, that I would mention something that is quite, um, uh, it's going to have, a, I, I believe, will have a big impact on the field, although we are just now studying it. And that is the role of radiation therapy in the treatment of so-called oligometastatic disease. And um, metastatic disease, as probably most of your listeners know, means that the, the tumor has developed the ability to grow outside of where it originally came from. So a breast cancer has developed the ability to grow on a bone somewhere else or mm-hmm. on a liver or on a lung. And um, that's, that's the metastatic state, right? When, when, right. The, when the tumor has, has, has uh, evolved enough to, to be able to stick elsewhere, we call that the metastatic state. And oligometastatic just means a little, and oligo is uh, the Greek for just a little. So there's oligometastatic, and then some people refer to polymetastatic, so more than just a little. Well, there, right now, um, we are we're realizing that that this the difference between, say, a uh, what we would consider a, a locally advanced but not metastatic tumor and a tumor that has already metastasized, maybe that difference isn't as great as we once thought. We used to, we used to um, once patients have developed metastases, not be very aggressive, right? We thought, mm-hmm. okay, cure is not possible, so we will back down and, and sort of minimize, really focus on, on minimizing um, uh, the, the threats of our treatment, the, the side effects, and focus on quality of life, as it were. Mm-hmm. But we are finding in, that that in this in patients who have a limited burden, that being more aggressive can pay off in terms of extended survival. And people sort of wonder about cure 
um, in some cases, um, the, the survival is so extended so much that it is effectively a cure. We don't really know what, you know, cure isn't a medical term, as it were. It's just, you know, we, we consider you cured if you are lucky enough to, you know, live to a ripe old age and die of something else, you know. Right. But, um, right. Even if there is a, a, a cancer cell that's hiding, if you're lucky enough to pass away of something else, your oncologist is, is generally feels like it's a success. Right. Um, that um, makes sense. But um, what we're learning now is that that with modern radiotherapy, with modern radiation, which has gotten so precise that we can be more aggressive safely than we have in the past. And that's been demonstrated, I would say, unequivocally, that we certainly, that it's safe to be more aggressive. And mm-hmm. if with, in, in, in patients who have oligometastatic disease, just a few diseases, maybe you can go after it with, with really the, uh, the goal of not just sort of beating it back, but are really eliminating the sites of metastasis mm-hmm. in the body with mm. intensive radiation therapy. And again, all of that is enabled by our, you know, these huge advances in the technology that have occurred over the last, you know, uh, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't think we can say for sure yet that using radiation um, as almost like a chemotherapy in patients with metastatic disease, we can't say for sure um, that it's going to extend people's life with metastatic disease. But the initial data is really promising, and there are a bunch of really great studies that are happening in this country and and in many other countries that I think are going to help us figure that out in the next few years. And so, wonderful. Um, what I would say as a pitch. Uh, you know, to all the researchers out there, on behalf of all the researchers out there, if there's a clinical trial that you are offered, um, take part in it because it's, again, it's, it, you contribute not only, um, you know, to your immediate care, but to generations of people after you. So if you, if you have the time and the energy to participate in, in these clinical trials to help us understand what works and doesn't, please do. <laughs> wow. Um, we are really kind of out of time and I'm sad because I still wanted to talk to you about some more stuff but maybe we'll have to have you back on another show Um, so I guess with that we're going to just thank you so much Dr. John for giving us all your time and your expertise today you are I'm so glad we have people like you doing what you do because it's helping all of us you know long term and I really appreciate it Um, I do want to let people know that this show is donor supported and we really need to um, have donations coming in to keep everything that we do alive all of our programs not only this show but all the programs that we do so we'd like to really encourage you to go to our website which is breastfriends.org there's a big blue button at the top of the page please consider making a donation in support of breast friends or in support of this show also if anyone out there has a company they might be interested in being a sponsor of our show we would love that um, and we would certainly make sure you get well promoted on the show so we will be back next week until then remember there is always hope and we are here to help you find it thank you for listening to breast friends cancer support radio 
please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.